Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. We are your co-hosts, Tom, Josh, and Gabe, and welcome to our latest and greatest episode. We are becoming fond of doing these shows in sets, a series, if you will. Last episode, we discussed whether the use of marijuana is acceptable, and if being a Christian changes that viewpoint. This week, we'll dive into the merits of using crystal meth on a daily basis, followed by the grand finale, cocaine. We'll be joined by Gary Busey because, well, <laughs> you know, or we will answer questions about whether Jesus is real, or if he was just a good guy, or in a hallucination by 12 guys strung out on black tar heroin. Yikes! Can't get away from these drug references. On with the show! That Gary Busey reference got me, even though I knew it was coming. It got me. It got now, me, Tom. My favorite part was, you know, our, our good listener doesn't know this, but Tom types these all out for Josh and I to see, and the word or, when he says or, has or. like 18 R's after it. So it was really <laughs> supposed to be like, or, or, I was really looking like forward a quadruple to that. ellipsis. That was pretty nice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, and friends, also, welcome to the Pint Glass Preachers. Oh. I'm interrupting you, Josh. Welcome. And I uh, just want to give a few shout outs uh, to our friends at the Gospel Economist. Uh, they are our partners in this endeavor. The Gospel Economist is a group of writers and bloggers uh, who seek the story of Jesus Christ and his payment for our sin in our everyday lives. You can check them out at medium.com slash the dash gospel dash economist. They're pretty great. Uh, our podcast is hosted there, so please check them out. They're taking a bit of a breather this summer, but fear not. They're coming back full force, I believe, at the end of August. Uh, so check it out. Also, you can find us in all the usual places online. I did my part. Oh, are you done? I'm done. Tom, it's oh, your turn. Oh, okay. Or, or, <laughs> what are we drinking? Ooh. Me first. Me first. Fine. Oh, that didn't sound very enthusiastic. Anyway. Fine. Go, Josh. I can't wait to hear your story. I'm literally on the edge of my seat. I'm so glad you asked, Tom, because last week I was in St. Louis, and I picked myself up – well, didn't pick up – was actually given a bottle of a cooperative effort between Perennial Brewing Company and Sump Coffee by Redbeard himself of a delightful stout with coffee added. And it is just pure viscous goodness. Wait, it was given to you by Redbeard himself? Was it a pirate? Did yeah, what does that mean? No. Who's Redbeard? No, Red, okay, first of all, you guys clearly are not in the loop. But some coffee is one of the most hipster coffee shops I've ever been to. And there is a guy. I don't know his real name, but we in that circle refer to him as Redbeard because he has a giant red beard. He kind of does look like a pirate, but he's the owner and founder of some coffee. And he couldn't sell me this bottle of beer, so he just gave it to me. Do you have to have a beard and glasses to go to this coffee shop? He doesn't wear glasses, but he does have a massive beard and a large mustache. Okay, well, makes up for the hipster glasses then. That's pretty anyway, cool. it's super cool and super delicious. So thank you, Redbeard. Thank you, Sump. Thank you, Perennial. And all of our other corporate sponsors from St. Louis. Oh, man. <laughs> St. Louis has been good to us. Uh, you know what else has been good to us? Revolver. Uh, brewing company. This is uh, one of my top five beers of all time. Is uh, it's a? Really? I think so. Yeah, Revolver Blood and Honey. It's an American ale. It's super super good. Uh, they're they're based out of Texas, Granbury. Um, we had some friends send us some in the mail up here to Michigan, and so I am enjoying uh, this Revolver Blood and Honey. Well, I am not enjoying a beer from Texas, although. Gabe, can you maybe, yeah, weird, huh? Can you maybe bring me some Texas beer when we uh, convene at Camp Luther in several weeks? Well, I don't live there anymore. You remember this? I know, but we're both going there, and you keep having friends who bring you beer. So I get what you're saying. Okay, yes. If I, I don't know if I'll have any Texas friends here in town before then, but if I do, I'll bring it to you. But what are you drinking? This is we're off topic. 
Yeah, I'm drinking. I, you know, it's warm out. I, I mowed the lawn earlier today. So I have a Lynchburg lemonade, which is delicious lemonade, bourbon, and just a skosh of triple sec. And you may ask why the triple sec is because it gives it a nice little bite. You can also take an orange and squeeze, squeeze some fresh squeezed orange juice in there. Well, that's really nice. Yeah, that it's sounds refreshing. Like, that sounds like the drink of a guy who uses the word skosh. <laughs> um, so, so way to go. Way to go. Yes. All right. So, I mean, what do we want to talk about? Are we going to do the drug thing or should we actually do something else? No, we'll do something else. But before we get into it, uh, we want to remind folks, uh, because Josh is apparently not on the ball, so I'll do it, to uh, text us questions <laughs> at 612-208-6258. Okay, we've had quite a few people text in questions to 612-208-6258. Thank you very much. I am on the ball. I was just being polite with all of you. That's what, all I was doing. When have we ever been polite on this podcast? I, I'm, a, I'm a new man. And, I'm and a new I'm, man starting today. And I'm just going to jump in. I don't usually uh, jump in right away on these uh, texts and things, but uh, we had one listener who uh, texted in and asked us, or he said, Hey, several episodes ago, Tom, you had your wife come in and say a few words, and that was great, and it sounded like her name was Jan. Does that mean you married someone with the same name as your mother? Yep, you definitely did. Isn't that <laughs> yeah, the craziest did. thing, listeners? Yeah, Can you believe that Tom <laughs> intentionally married a woman with the same name as his mom? I mean, like, I, can't I, I you did that. That's this so is you, Tom. So I, mean, I don't want to say it. Oedipus complex, but it might just be. But there's really no other word for it but Oedipus complex. I mean, right. give, I mean, Janet, Janet, Jan, whatever she goes by at home, is one of our most faithful listeners and an incredible woman. Wait, which and so, Jan? Tom's wife or Tom's mom? Oh, right. well, they're, they're both incredible women. I mean, they've First got the all, same name. All of you, shut up. Here's the deal. <laughs> First of all, Janet goes by mom at home, all right? And that is the way we are going to refer to her moving forward. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, my wife's name is Jen, J-E-N, short for Jennifer, sometimes by family members goes by Jenny, not by my family members, but by some of her family members. Now, Josh, you might know a little bit about Jenny because your wife's name is Jenny, correct? Yeah, but I also, my mother's name is not Jenny, so that's what makes <laughs> this not weird. Is Neither is I mine. married a woman, Neither I married a woman mine. whose name is different. Listen, oh my gosh. Real listen. quick, Tom, let me ask you this. Does Jenny, Jen, Jen, Jen is that how you say it? Jen? How, how do Jen? you say it, Gabe? You live next to us. It's it's a soft J? Okay. Um, so, <laughs> Yen. <laughs> or Yan. In, in Peru it is, but whatever. <laughs> Does Can she ever go? Anywhere? This is an important question. Does she ever go by Janet? <laughs> <laughs> I think Never. that's where the confusion. I think that's where the confusion for our texter. Uh, it, that that's where the confusion lie. It lay because it was Tom. You must have accidentally had a Freudian slip and said, "Oh, this is my wife, Janet," <laughs> and that's where you yeah. got confused. So, to all yep. of our listeners Clearly. out there, do not be afraid to text in your questions or your comments to 612-208-6258. That's enough of that. It's getting weird. You may Real have seen though, 50 Shades of Grey, but you've never seen Tom turn 50 Shades of Red like Gabe and I have currently. So we're going to go to break, and we come back. We might actually talk about something serious. Thanks for the question, Dej. Thanks, Dej. Dej! Welcome back. We realize we probably didn't even tell you what you were coming back to, but we, re we figure that you've been with us this long that you're going to hang on for at least the next couple minutes to see what we're talking about. Uh, Especially if your name is Janet or Janet or Janet or Jen or Jan or Yen. <laughs> Just any name with a J. How about that? Uh, so a couple episodes back, we did a three-episode series called Rise of the Nuns. Uh, this was a series talk, talking with people, about people, uh, talking about this, this space of people who 
don't believe in God. They might either be atheists, they might be agnostic, they might say they are kind of spiritual, but really they're not going to tie into any specific faith. And so we had a couple uh, a couple guests. It, it was three good episodes, but lately we've been receiving some texts, uh, some emails, some Facebook messages about uh, bringing in some questions about those episodes. And so in particular, I have a, a friend of mine who we've been having some, some great conversations over the last couple of weeks about faith, about my faith, about his faith, um, about different faith lives of other people and other uh, religions and things like that. And so uh, he wrote down for us some questions. We added in some things from some of our other listeners. And so uh, we are going to kind of delve a little deeper into this, into this topic of, of who is Jesus, was he a real? Was he real? Was he a real guy? Was he God? What what really happened? Uh, some questions about the beginning of the Bible, the end of the Bible, everything in between. Uh, does that make sense? Makes enough sense to me, Tom. All right. Well, then let's move forward. Uh, we're gonna just kind of. I'm gonna play moderator here. I'm gonna throw out some questions, and we'll just kind of see where this takes us. We might get this done in one episode. We might not. Who knows? So, uh, number one, describe your first experience with faith slash religion. We'll start there. Okay. Uh, so, one of my favorite things when I talk to friends of mine who maybe grew up in a different uh, Christian tradition than me when they ask, hey, so when did you get saved, Gabe, is oftentimes the question. And this is how I answer. I say, you guys, man, I was such a mess. I was screaming all the time. Whenever I didn't get something I wanted, I would just burst out crying. Uh, in fact, I, I didn't even go to the bathroom. I would just soil myself. Uh, people <laughs> had to change me. And then a man wearing a white gown poured water on my head. And I got saved. Uh, and you so, still soiled yourself. And, and I still soiled myself. So that's a, that's a good and old Lutheran joke. Three there. weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's uh, so I bottom line is I was baptized as a baby. Uh, and, and so grew up in, in the faith and, and I'm part of the same tradition that's, um, that I grew up in tag Josh. Boring. What's okay. yours? What's Not yours, it. Mr. Excitement? Did ditto. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Tom, how about you? Yeah. So I got the same story of, of, of being baptized and in, in the Christian religion in our Lutheran faith in particular, that is when we believe that uh, we are brought into the family of God. But something that I will always say, I will amend to your hilarious joke is when my faith really first became real to me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, because my father's a pastor. And so this was something that was just every single day. This was part of life, going to church, Sunday school, you know, dinner table conversation. Um, and so I never had that like on fire moment when I first came to Jesus or, you know, when it, oh my gosh, now I'm saved kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I do remember when going to camp, when I had to start articulating my faith to other people, you know, and mostly of course, to children in, in a camp setting. But when I had to start talking about it for real, that's when, when I really started digging in and started to, in my mind, better understand what I was believing. And cool. so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is actually a key thing though, Tom, because like, uh, yes, brought up in the faith, like as early as you possibly can be. Um, but there's still that moments or, or moments where, where you, you, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, begin to own it for yourself, where you begin to say like, all right, I actually think this is true. I, I actually think my life is going to hang on to this thing that I've been given. Um, and so, and I think sometimes people say like, oh, well, you're just brainwashed. You're just closed minded or whatever. But, but I don't know. I mean, I, we're a lot, we're all products of where we grew up. Right. So if you don't believe in God or you do believe in God or you, you're Muslim or Jewish, or we, we are products of where we grew up, but it doesn't mean that something isn't true. Like something's gotta be true. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that whole, like, well, that's what you were brought up with. And so your brainwashed kind of thing doesn't really hold water with me because, my parents and pretty much my whole entire family is pretty straight Republican and I am pretty Democrat at this point in life, have been for a while. And so, you know, you would think that I would just stay Republican if we're going to go along those time, types of arguments, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and of course, I mean, we all probably have members in our family that we know that like don't share the same religious convictions we do either. I mean, it's just, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so, all right, next one. Well, so kind of along those lines, what, uh, the question is what made you want to be a pastor? When did you first know you wanted to be a pastor? Um, or, you know, go into ministry. We'll, we'll, we'll broaden it out that way. Well, this is, this is actually one of my favorite stories to tell because growing up, I had huge ambitions for my life before entering pastoral ministry. And they and shrank that was, wildly. That was to be a short order cook at Denny's. Uh, yes, dear listeners. Dream for, big, buddy. Dream wait, yeah, real quick, Josh, this is prophetic because I ate at Denny's today. I got a moon's did over you? my hammy. I did. Hey, I did. all right. It wasn't me cooking it, but it could have been. If only. If only. If only. I could only imagine when that day comes. All right. Sorry. Go on, Josh. Anyway, man. Gosh, I love Christian contemporary worship music. Oh, my gosh. Um, anyway. Here, here's the irony of this whole thing. Right before we started this episode, we were kind of talking about like, hey, we, we feel like we've maybe hit our groove. Our production value is up, we think, anyway. And then I remember that you two sing on every episode. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. And, fair enough. Fair enough, Tom. I will get back to the story at hand. Yeah, so I wanted to cook breakfast. I wanted to be like a short order breakfast cook my entire life growing up. And then um, I realized that uh, at least in the Lutheran tradition, we have something that typically occurs around junior high, which is called confirmation. And it's a, either a one, two, or three-year process where you delve deeper into the doctrine of the Lutheran church, uh, into the Bible, Old New Testament. You look at the early church and other things like that. And I realized I was that super nerdy kid that enjoyed confirmation, not for the social aspect of it. I mean, I had friends that went and it was a lot of fun, but I was super nerdy and really wanted to get more into theology. And that combined with a semi-mystical spiritual experience in Mexico one summer on a youth mission trip, boom, next thing you know, I'm going to the seminary in St. Louis where I run into Gabe Casper. Yo, 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 yo. Yo. 94. The United States hosted the World Cup. I was in second grade ish, and someone asked me, Gabe, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be the chaplain for the U.S. men's national team, uh, which hasn't happened yet. But I tell you all that to point out that as a small child, it was deep within me that like I kind of took whatever a normal kid would want to be like a professional athlete or a firefighter or whatever. And I wanted to be the pastor version of that. Um, and which, so you want to talk about nerdy, right? So that was just kind of it. And then I went through a rebellious streak and, and thought I was going to be a rock star. Uh, but I had a teacher uh, at, a, at a Christian school that pulled me aside and said, you should pray about being a pastor. And next thing I knew I'm in St. Louis and I run into this guy who I think is homeless with a Hebrew tattoo on his forearm, and his name is Josh. It shows that I have a past. It shows you have a past. <laughs> so, Tom, Tom, why did why did you choose to be a pastor? Uh, you know, I I was a camp counselor in between uh, or summers during college, and super fun. Loved it. Met my wife there, and Jeanette. Right, Jen. And so <laughs> I wanted I wanted to go into full-time camp ministry, to be honest, at the first, because it was super fun. I mean, get to wear shorts and flip-flops and run around, play games. I live at a camp, do all those types of things. But I hadn't been there too long before I realized the impact that I was having on people, uh, the ability that I had to share my faith in, in different ways that, that made sense to kids and adults alike and uh, realize that this was, this had real meaning and also uh, that I could see the impact that I was having uh, day in and day out. And it was a lot of fun while I was at it. So that's kind of what got me into ministry in the first place. And then since then, I uh, kind of been in faith-based jobs since then, because it's something that I know and something that I love. Tight. Yeah. So that kind of gives us uh I guess, a basis of kind of where we come from. Uh, again, for those of you who might be new to our podcast, uh, all three of you maybe, uh, all three of us come from the the Lutheran tradition, uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod tradition. Uh, and so 
the next question, what is your definition of faith or religion or both? Uh, we'll kind of go there, uh, but just kind of knowing where, where we start from, I think is helpful. So can I go, Josh? Is that all right? Yeah, totally. Okay. So to me, those are two different questions. Your definition of faith yeah. and your definition of religion. Okay. So, because, and I mean, and I could see how there's like a way they could be the same, but, but faith is, is, uh, is an action. So my favorite definition of faith, I actually just preached on this, uh, is uh, Paul Tillich talks about it in, in a book he wrote, 1957. Love me some Tillich. Everyone loves some Tillich. Well, I mean, and again, I don't agree with like, I don't know, like 70% of that dude's theology, but this I agree with. Um, he wrote a book in 1957 called The Dynamics of Faith. He's kind of an existentialist philosopher slash theologian from Germany. And, and in this book, he explores this question. He says, like, what is faith? What does that actually mean? And he defines faith as this, uh, ultimate concern. He says, faith, uh, whatever, whatever your, your focus of your ultimate concern is, that's your faith. Whatever it is in your life that you say, my buck stops here. Uh, that's what you have faith in. And, and so to me, I, I, I kind of find that a helpful definition that it's not just like, I don't just believe in a God of the gaps. I don't just believe in a God that uh, makes me feel good. So I don't feel alone in the world. And, and I'm upset. It's like, no, this is something that actually shapes my entire life. It's, it's ultimate concern. Um, and, and everything depends on that. Um, um man, I'm going to steal, I'm going to steal that Tillich definition of faith. I was unfamiliar with it. Yeah, it is really good. But I think just to kind of tack on to that very briefly, I, I would say that that quickly sums up my own definition of faith. And I would just kind of include the fact that for me, faith is a verb. It is, it is a formative experience. You know, it is that not just the buck stops here, but it is something that informs the decisions that I make, the way that I interact with, um, and the own, you know, the conversations within my mind and the things that I wrestle with in my heart. And so faith isn't just like a, you know, definition, you know, or, or it's not just an identifier such as Christian or Muslim or Lutheran or Catholic or, you know, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or something like that. But it is something that Which literally kind of consumes... I mean, that that's kind of your definition of religion. Re well, not really, because I would actually say a lot of people have a pejorative definition of religion, but I would say I, I'm okay with religion, and I, I'm okay with the institution of religion because my formation, I don't see as an individual subjective experience in my life of 31 years, but for me, the ultimate you know, informing of everything that encompasses my life I find great comfort in religion because I can then place myself within the greater history, at least of Christendom. And for me, I take not only great comfort in that, but I'm also challenged by it because it shows me that there have been at least two millennia of people who have struggled with the same things, both good times and bads, both successes and failures. And I can look back upon those things and say, okay, if they could make it then, make it now and at least or at least wrestle with the tensions of this faith that i have in you know the god who revealed himself through jesus christ yeah you know i i mean i see re religion to me is the is the construct it's the it's the set of rules that we live by or that a group of people live by uh given to them by by the god that they believe in uh and so we are part of the Christian faith. Uh, there are those who are part of the Muslim faith or religion, I should say, for, for this particular discussion. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's all the special moves and, and, and worship settings and things like that. Um, but faith, I love what you say. It's, it's a verb because I think for the longest time, it was just something that, oh, it's what I believe. Um, faith is... is is the action to what I believe in. It's it's grasping on, it's holding. And at the end of the day, for me, faith is something that I can't quantify, which doesn't answer the question here. I understand that. But faith is having that that hope. Faith is having that certainty in, in what I do believe in. That's what it is. I don't know. Yeah. I would, by the way, I'd add this uh, 
connection to the word what is religion because I, I I guess to Josh's point I'm tempted sometimes to use the term religion in a pejorative sense uh, which I probably shouldn't do like I because I try to distinguish the gospel and religion which we'll maybe get to that later um, it's ridiculous well why don't we why don't you do it right now do you want me to do it right now well so I would say religion in a general sense someone's like gun to your head what is religion I would say religion is man's attempt to encounter the divine, uh, man's attempt to engage the divine. And what I would say the gospel is, is it's the divine's movement towards man. Uh, and, and so, so to me, that's, that's the big distinction is, is to say religion in a general sense is always this idea of humanity trying to reach up to God. Uh, but the gospel is always God reaching into humanity. I don't understand how you could speak of that pejoratively then. If it's like, I, I get that definition. I completely agree with that definition. I think it's a great definition. However, how is it that you're tempted to speak of religion pejoratively if your framework of religiosity is the gospel that you're differentiating? Yeah. And so, and that's where I'm maybe being um, a little bit too, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, you know, the word where you're like trying to get a rise out of people, um, that I, I may provocative. I may be trying to be too provocative. Okay. This is in, great radio. What's it? I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> what's uh, that word that I can't think of? That it means jump in, man. All right. <laughs> no, I just, I wanted to let, I wanted to leave you hanging out there to just see. Oh, really nice. Oh you my gosh. He has a really yep, great good friends. Great friend you are, Tom. Anyways, um, so I'm I'm maybe just trying to be too provocative in distinguishing between religion and gospel, but I guess because I think I mean like I literally I just saw a dude on Facebook the other day. Uh, type, he's he's not religious, and he typed in like, "Karma is inherently selfish. This idea that what goes around comes around uh, is is just about serving yourself," and he's right. And someone underneath it wrote. Well, wouldn't, couldn't you say that about all religions? And he's like, yep, which again is true. But the gospel is not karma. The gospel is grace. The gospel says you get what you don't deserve. And so I guess that's why I like to make that distinction. So yes, is it about me encountering the divine? Yes, but it's not about me reaching up to the divine. It's about the divine coming down on my level. And so do we see... So when we as Christians talk about the gospel, we are very clearly talking about the words, the actions, and the eventual death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your definition of gospel, do we see that in other religions? Yeah, and I, I would say no. And I mean, and I don't, and, and again, let me say this. I, that's not to say there isn't richness and truth and depth and beauty in other religions. I think all those things are there. Um, but... I, I do believe Christianity is the only religion in which um, you don't do anything to get God. You don't do anything to earn God, that he does everything to grab hold of you. Uh, and that's that's a complete flip of everything else. And so then everything that we live, our the Christian life, Christian morality, going to church, reading your Bible, all that, all that's just done in response to what God's done first. Um, well, and not to beat um, a dead horse, but it's all the millennials fault that we're even having this conversation. <laughs> How so? Because, yeah, because the, are they, they the we, first we, ones to question faith in Jesus? No, but I mean, coming off the heels of, of modernism, you know, in our postmodern context, we just see a general questioning of institutions in general. Did I just, I just said generally questioning the institutions in general. That was yeah. terrible. We, man. Gabe, you jinxed us. I jinxed, you jinxed us by us saying we are strong. Oh, I think we're doing pretty good. Well, we're not. We are oh, digressing. Sorry, listeners. Anyway, hey, we've never promised but anything yes. but mediocrity, so let's just leave it that at that. That is true. Okay, and we've always delivered there. on mediocrity. <laughs> yes, we have. Hey, we're being radical, and that just means going back to the roots. Radical Mediocrity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just think we live in a time and where, where institutions are generally questioned, and that's, that's not – with religion that comes with sociopolitical institutions it comes with historical institutions you know but, and but i think people will think, most people would think that is 
And, and I, I tend to agree on, on a lot of fronts that that's a good thing. As we learn more about the world that we live in through science, through education, as more and more people are becoming educated versus what it, what it was 100 years ago, 200 years ago, things like that, uh, you know, it's not just questioning, it's becoming more knowledgeable and then saying, hey, that doesn't seem right. And so yeah, as we sit here trying to defend the thing that we have faith in. But see, that that is inherently selfish, self-serving, and extremely prideful to think that, oh, we've learned so much, so now we actually know more yep. than the other centuries and millennia of human history, which yep. just isn't the case. I mean, because and, and that's why I'm, at least for me, that's why I'm totally comfortable placing myself and my faith within institutional religion and tracing its lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Garden of Eden with God and Adam and Eve, because like just with science, Mm -hmm. we owe a lot to the Arabs and mathematics. We owe a lot to the astrology that came from the Middle East. We owe a lot to Asian cultures. You know, we we owe so much to of what we would consider, you know, bedrock institutions uh, in our world today to previous generations. And so then to jump to the conclusion and say, well, we've learned so much. We know so much more now is to undermine some of the very fundamentals that we're building that pride upon. Well, yeah, that's true. But we, but we do know other things. I mean, I, I I don't think there's anything wrong with saying we know more. Hey, guess what? Smoking's bad for you. We kind of learned that in the last 50, 60 years, you know, um, uh, other things about physics and science, I think where the separation, and I think this is where the problem usually comes up, is that with science, and we, we talked about this with Brian a little bit, you can, f- a lot of times with science, there's a hard answer at the end of whatever you're studying. And when it comes to the softer side of things, when it, when, when it comes to psychology, when it comes to f- religion, when it comes to how relationships and how we work, you know, we are constantly hesitate to use this word, but constantly evolving in, in how we think about it. And we go left and then we go right and we're, we're all over the place. Yeah, There's no doubt about that, Tom. I mean, I, I agree. We're always learning. We're always expanding. We're always figuring stuff out. Um, but but I would say this, there's there's two things here. One is there is this idea and, and we're not directly talking about this, but I think indirectly in the background, we're talking about this idea really of secularism is, is kind of what I'm hearing coming at least from you right now, is this idea that like, as we learn more about the universe, you know, the, and this is kind of the mythos out there around secularism and how we got to where we are today. Uh, the the mythos behind it is that like, well, yeah, back in the day, you know, people couldn't explain thunder and lightning and they didn't understand how weather patterns worked and whatever else. And so they just ascribed that to the gods. They just gave that to the supernatural beings. Well, now we know better. And so we don't have to ascribe things to supernatural things. And and so, you know, all that's left is this God of the gaps. And and more and more as people gradually get more enlightened and science makes more and more sense, uh, then of course, there's just not going to be room for God to explain away the things that that we can't explain. The problem with that, uh, Charles Taylor talks about this in uh, in his book, A Secular Age. Uh, so any good listeners out there, if you want to read a thousand page philosophical book, uh, go crazy. If you don't, there's a really short summary of it called How Not to Be Secular by James K. Smith, who's got time. Um, awesome. And uh, and so at any rate. Uh, sorry, we listeners. We just sorry. Yeah. We got to pause. This is important. Gabe is in his dungeon <laughs> basement. And we're all Google Hangouting here, and so I can see Gabe. And as Gabe's talking, in the back, in the window behind him, a mouse runs down the frame of the window, runs across the window, and then down the wall. Um, just so as disgusting. he's talking, yeah, yeah. And so I type it out to Gabe, and that's when Gabe kind of that's un- when I lost my train of Yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh-huh. sorry, but that was it's there. All right. So the theory is that's is a worldview of um, of subtraction that hey if we finally get rid of all this religious mysticism and just get ourselves down to the facts to pure reason and just strip it away to to what it is uh, then then we'll have arrived at a truth and then we'll be where we're supposed to be when the reality is secularism is not merely a a worldview of subtraction it's not just removing mysticism 
Uh, it's, it's a worldview of addition. It's a worldview that's taken years and years to build and, and has its own mythos and has its own theories behind things and has things that it can't explain and never will be able to explain. And so I, I think to, to me, that's, I guess that's one of my struggles with, with folks who, who are just really, uh, uh, are like, well, well, how could you believe in something supernatural? How can you believe in something that's outside the realm of pure reason? And I'm kind of like, bro, like you have to, like we all function that way. Everybody functions that way. Like no one has subtracted everything down to pure reason. It has not happened and it will not happen. That's not how secularism works. That's not how the world works. Well, and it's, it's been tried in the past. I mean, just look at Kant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kant yeah. was a prime example of trying to reduce everything to a pure line of reason. And Eventually, he came to have like I, I mean, I shouldn't say. I, I would imagine he came to an existential crisis. But when you look at his writings, he was never able to definitively say that he's operating from a pure line of reason. Right. Yeah. It's just impossible. It's impossible. You can't. You can't. I mean, and it's like, dude. I was. I mean, literally the other day, I was just listening to a debate between this. Uh, philosophy professor at University of Cincinnati and N.T. Wright, who's this brilliant New Testament scholar. And, and it was more of a conversation. It wasn't really a heated debate, but they're, they're talking. And this philosophy professor at the University of Cincinnati is this Danish lady. And she literally is like, human beings, all we are is animals with consciences. Like, that is it. There is nothing more to us. We are on the exact same playing field as every other animal. And she was wearing a wool sweater. Now, listen, I know you don't kill sheep to get wool, okay? But, like, if you take the hair off of my body and make a sweater out of it, that's freaking weird. And so so she's already, <laughs> like, betraying her own lotion in the basket as she's talking about it. Like, it's, it's illogical. Yeah. So, anyways. Well, and I, th I think that – I mean, I, I just think that that speaks to where we sort of started this conversation on faith and religion is – there is something that drives everything in your life. There is some, you know, eternal, existential, whatever words you that starts with an E, perhaps that you'd like to use to define it. There is something that that dictates to you your perspective on this world, on this universe, on science, on religion, on everything, and ultimately where you land in that is a, a matter of faith. You're going to believe that there is something guiding you. And you're going to place your trust in something that forms you. And there are some and many of us who have different definitions of, of what that formative thing, person, experience is. Can I do a pastoral anecdote? Do it. Uh, I guess. Right. It's not going to be like cheesy and corny. Well, no, 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 no. It's good. It's good. So I, I, I was doing a wedding for a couple, and uh, and the, the dude was was not a, uh, a Christian. And he told me, he goes like, Hey Gabe, it's, it's cool with me. You're a Christian. And I was like, Oh, thanks. I needed your permission. And, um, and he said, but, but here's the deal. He goes, see, you're a Christian. And so, so you're like, he's like, I think of religion like a neighborhood. And he says, and so you're just in the Christian house and, and everything you see is just out the Christian window. And, and you, and that's all you can see is through the lens of the Christian window. And he says, and then there's the, the Muslim house and that's all they can see is, is through the, the Islam window. And then there's the Jewish house and the Hindu house and the Buddhist house. He goes, and then he goes, but I'm on the street, man. I'm on the street and I can see all the houses. And, uh, I was like, bro, no, you're not. Uh, I said, you are a product of 20th century Western post-enlightenment thinking who frankly didn't grow up with a strong example of faith. And so this is where you are. Like no one is sitting in neutral here. There is no one sitting in neutral. Um, and, and I think it's, it's a, a huge mistake to think that anyone is. None of us are. That doesn't mean that there isn't truth. Uh, I think there is truth. I think there's objective truth outside of ourselves but no one is sitting in a place of neutrality. Yeah, and I think at least what I see, especially in these conversations, is you have a pretty hard line between God or not God, or at least that's just what it seems like right now with increased rhetoric and 
you know, that actually that's one of the conversations that uh, my friend and I had was how social media and uh, just our instant communication gives us the ability to communicate faster, see things differently uh, in so many different ways that those who came before us, when we talk about this, this building up and adding on to things, um, we are maybe building and adding things on faster and faster and faster because yeah. of, of that. And so, but, but what I see is, is people going in the exact opposite direction, you either have faith and everyone else is stupid or you don't believe in faith and everyone else is stupid. Yeah. And I think, well, and that's tricky, man, because like one of the, I don't know, one of the places I live and, and I'm not bringing us back to our, our Gabe needs an intervention episode. Okay. So just uh, call oh, out. Lord have mercy. mercy. Lord but have mercy. Need, but if we need to Gabe, we will anything for you, Gabe. Thank you guys. Thank you. Um, but but I do think, man, I, I just feel like if people are intellectually honest with themselves, if people are just just honest, it comes down to these two options for the entire world. Either nihilism or everything's going to be okay. Either okay. nihilism or hope. That's it. See, I, no, I, I, I don't think there's only two options because I think that's actually what we are facing currently is option number three which is both options a nihilistic hope no we are self-medicating to Ooh, avoid name i call it go on yeah <laughs> you know me and uh me and this dude in college we used to come up with crazy nicknames and one of our best ones was hugo boss and the everlasting cartwheel oh that's really good i know isn't that great or wow. like cigarette butts and flamethrowers Ooh, yeah i know i know we were sitting outside of a, a the band, the format. Do you know them? I do know them. Yeah, we Dude, were. I a, opened for them. Are you kidding me? Fact. Yeah, they toured no with Switchfoot, way. and I opened for them in their show in Milwaukee. Yep. Oh, uh, okay. That's another time. Another time of reminiscing of his former punk days. Yes. Yeah. Yes, of his of his famous days. Yeah. Uh, not famous Dave. Famous days. Right. But anyway. famous because I'm on a podcast with over 200 listeners a week. What, 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 what? Come on. seven right, degrees of on. Oprah or six degrees of Oprah, something like that. That's right, anyway. That too. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think we're in this time where we self-medicate to the point where we sort of, where we can convince ourselves that neither of those options exist, or at least we don't have to face the reality of that choice between those two options because we are going to, you know, we have been able to tell ourselves that we can we can be in the middle of the street looking at everyone else's house when that simply isn't the case. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. That's just being intellectually dishonest. Like, No, it's, I, I don't think it's being dishonest. No, because when you say intellectually dishonest, it sounds like you're intentionally deceiving the other person. What I'm saying is that we have self-medicated to the point where we are numb to that dishonesty. I get what you're saying. Okay. Where we have convinced ourselves that yep. that is an option yep. when it actually isn't an option. Yep, yep, yep. Well, and that's where, like, dude, there's this video floating around Facebook right now. It's Neil deGrasse Tyson talking with Larry King. Have you guys seen this? I have not. And yeah, uh, okay, a bit of it. okay. So, and Larry King asks him what happens when we die, and you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson gives a really good answer. It's like biological, like your body decomposes, it goes into the earth, blah blah blah. It was actually pretty fascinating to me. Um, and then Larry King says, like, so that's it. So you know, there's no life eternal. There's no life everlasting. Like, you, you just that's it. And Neil deGrasse Tyson says, yeah, as far as we can observe, that's true. And that's accurate, right? I mean, as far as we can observe, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, and then Neil deGrasse Tyson adds on, though, and he goes, and actually, I prefer it that way because it forces me to live my life now. It forces me to, uh, to seize the day now, to achieve now, to love now, to not just wait for eternity, but to, to seize the only moments I have, which are right now. And I thought, like, in one sense, like that's an attractive thought. But in another sense, if you spend 30 seconds thinking about it, that's stupid. Like I would love to sit down with my boy Neil and say, brother, we came from nothing, right? We just somehow something came from nothing, big bang, billion years later, here we are, whatever it is, 4.5 billion years later, here we are. Um, 
and we're headed towards nothing, right, Neil? Like the sun, we're getting closer to it or it's expanding or however that works and we're gonna burn up and die. Uh, and so we're headed towards nothing. So it came from nothing, we're headed towards nothing. Let's just have the honesty to admit that this part in the middle is also worth nothing. And and so to me, like, I, I just, I don't get why people don't see that. <laughs> well, and, and I wonder if, like, if we look at- And you're, and you're, and you're talking- Sorry, and you're talking about that in the fact that if if that's the case, then okay, it it's nothing. But that's not that's not how we how we as Christians look at it, though. No, right. I certainly don't look at it that way. I believe we're headed towards something, and we came from something, which means this part in the middle matters a lot. But I'm and, saying I'm saying for someone who's you know I, I guess perhaps very skeptical of religion or of the divine or, or, or something like that. Like I, that's where I say, like, it's either nihilism or hope. Now we can define what this hope is. And that's where I think religion in general is an important conversation. But when you completely say, Hey, I'm just going to go pure secularism, pure reason. First of all, no one does that. Secondly, um, if you did, you just have to be a nihilist. That's where Nietzsche landed. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, I hate to quote scripture, because Why? I know not Why? not all. I I don't hate to quote scripture, but for the sake of this conversation, there are probably some who are like, "Oh, there he is throwing the Bible at me," or you know, using a book that I don't even believe in. But I do think there's wisdom uh, in Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes when they said, "There's nothing new under the sun." Because this exact conversation, it is Epicureanism, it is hedonism at its finest. There is nothing, you know what I mean? Like there's no determinism. Everything's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And that happening is nothing. So while we exist, let's, if you're a hedonist, let's just do whatever we want, whatever pleases us, or let's restrain that a little bit to make this, to convince ourselves that we're going to use this time of the in-between nothing and nothing to benefit our neighbor for the sake of their nothingness, because eventually they will become nothing as well. You know what I mean? Like right. this, this came up. This came up like over a millennia ago. Like yep. this happened in ancient Greece where they had this conversation. And then what happened? Those philosophies largely died out. They were not populist philosophies of life yep. because they came to that conclusion, I think, Gabe. That was yep. like, well, we, we sort of are stuck. Yep. We, we've we worked ourselves into a pickle. Wait, well, we're sure in a pickle here, aren't we? We are in a pickle, and it's not pickle dip from Minnesota. It is not oh, pickle dip from Minnesota. If only. If let's, only. Let's not bring up the greatest thing to put on a chip ever. Um, I think we could, we could we could continue to wind ourselves round and round and round here until Gabe does go into his existential crisis. But uh, we're we're never going to be able to solve this this argument. Yeah, I mean, because would you agree? I mean, at the end of the day. I mean, do we have physical proof of, of, of our faith? Dude, you want me to answer that? Here it comes. Yeah. Are you yeah. ready? Yeah. So I'm ready because I was going to do it, but I want you to do it. You can't. Well, so there's, but there's a couple ways to do it. I mean, to me, there's so many ways to do it. Uh, so, so one is like, Never in all of science, in everything we can observe, has something come from nothing. Okay. So, first of all, let's just kick it Aristotle. Let's kick it Aquinas. Let's go unmoved mover. There, like, something doesn't come from nothing. Okay. Boom. Point one. And then you say, well, hey, there's all these faiths in the world. Uh, and who's to say which one is right, which one is real? How can you possibly know that you've got the right one, this, that, and other thing? Now, ultimately, does it come down to faith? It does. But what gives us the best thing to grab onto. And to me, that all ultimately then boils down to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It just like, if, if, I mean, we can debate all sorts of things, but to me as if he came here, said the things he said, uh, was crucified and actually rose from the grave three days later, like actually did that. Like every human being has to deal with that. Like no one else has done that. No one else has made those claims. Like you just have to deal with that. Um, and so to me, that's what it comes down to is his resurrection. And, and so a, a question that comes up a lot and, and it has come up in my conversations is like, well, how do we know that, that, that he rose again? And what, what, maybe this was just a conspiracy, a story perpetrated by, by the 12 disciples and things like that. And okay. something, you millennials. No, hold you on, hold on. millennials. <laughs> 
This is such an old man. Let me answer. No, no, no. No, hold on. Stop talking. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk. Put your finger down. Put your finger down. No. Because Let Tom finish. Because, Gabe, you brought this up. I I think it was in one of our other episodes, but it was after we got done recording. But the fact that we had hundreds and thousands of Christians who were killed for their faith in the in the weeks, months, and years following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's really doing a great sell job, you know, right. to martyr yourself for something that you witnessed that you saw. That's really selling it, you it's know. going hard, man. To, to like, hey guys, we're going to make up this story and we want it to last for all generations. So we're going to need a couple thousand of you to die horribly, horrible, horrible deaths to make yep. this happen. Who's in? Yep. Martyr okay. on three. Let's okay. go. Forget the whole martyr thing. All right. No, let's don't forget that. Back. That's actually no, okay. Not forget it. Let's, let's take a different avenue to respond to this question. All right. Would you just, I don't want any lengthy explanations. Do you believe that Aristotle and Plato existed as actual human beings? I do. Yes. Question their philo- philosophical writings as being historically real. I do. Tom? Yes. yes. Okay. So this is one of the great – this is one of the uh, – what I think is is one of the most – impactful yet neglected arguments for why I and many, many Christians believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do and that his disciples weren't just making it up or trying to convince a bunch of people to go kill themselves. Because you know what? David Koresh did it on a very small scale. Jim Jones did it on a very small scale. And all right, here's what here's the argument that that I tend to gravitate towards. Although I agree with everything you just said. The closest extant copy that just means verifiable source of platonic or aristotelian writings come seven to eight hundred years after their deaths and yet we do not question the historical veracity of said documents we have extant copies of not only the gospels but also non-christian writings of the works the miracles the life of christ josephus to be one of them uh, that occur within one generation mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and yet we are quick to condemn those sources as fallible. And so the yep. question I always have to ask someone who is so stuck on the historicity of, of who Jesus was is you take Plato and Aristotle and a ton of these dudes, holds bar, they were legit. Everything that was ever written or said about them is 100% verifiable and true. And yet the earliest manuscripts show up hundreds of years later where we have verified scientifically verified documents with carbon dating etc comparison to secondary sources etc that prove that these texts are verifiable within one generation and most are within the actual immediate lifetime yeah so let me let's break down the importance of that generation thing though because what that means is that written documents were circulating around people who would have been alive to witness Jesus on earth is is what we're getting at here that they'd be like a- saying yeah they'd be like saying in a hundred years we have yeah. the witness testimony of say the I mean OJ Simpson is in the news again because he's up for parole in Nevada all right yeah. that'd be like saying that we have the actual witnesses uh, to the trial of OJ Simpson writing down, their verdict and what they heard and what they saw and and that they actually met OJ Simpson. And in a hundred years from now, people saying, uh, I don't even know if OJ existed. Right. I can't trust those documents. Exactly. So let's move, let's move this conversation because we're, we're kind of already halfway in there, but you know, the, one of the questions is, have you ever wondered if Jesus is in fact the son of God or if he was just an influential person who lived in a time where people were craving a savior and why? And I'll take the the end of that sentence first. What you know to me, what part of history have we not been craving a savior or something something better or something to get us out of? I mean, there's been horrific wars and plagues and famines and uh, depressions and things like that for all of all of eternity since the world began. And so that is born in us that that we need a savior. So I think that part is just a given. 
But now when we come to the person of Jesus, what say you, pastors, when it comes to <laughs> Jesus as the son of God or just influential person? What say you? Um, dude, so... That was only funny to you. Do you hear you're the only one laughing at your own joke? Come on, it was really funny. No, no, there was silence for me and Tom. Sorry, dude. Uh, well, I'm sure the good listener chuckled. You're welcome. Good listener. <laughs> uh, Tech, if, if you if you chuckled at that joke, please send us a text. All right, yeah. send us a text at 612-208-6258 and let us know if you actually chuckled at Gabe's terrible. And I can't wait. And all you have to say is I chuckled. I did not chuckle. Non-chuckler. Yeah. I can't wait for the numbers to come in on that bad boy. People are going to love my jokes. Anyways, um, okay, so to me, you know, C.S. Lewis has the best argument of this in mere Christianity. Uh, if if you're to take the so, – so you got to say that treat the Gospels as valid historical documents. And, and to can be can honest – Can we just back up on who yeah. C.S. Lewis was? Oh, sure. Uh, so I mean – Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, was a brilliant philosopher in uh, the mid-20th century – um, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, but primarily was a professor of medieval literature at Oxford, uh, was an atheist for most of his life, and then, uh, not most, but a good chunk of his life was an atheist, and then converted to Christianity, and has written just incredible books um, that help explain the Christian faith, I think, in a really helpful way. Was that good enough for you, Tom? That was good. I, I mainly wanted to get to the point that he was a ridiculously smart and respected person who was an atheist who later became a Christian. Yes. Yep. Yep. And uh, at any rate, in mere Christianity, um, you know, he makes a point. Well, first of all, he says like, hey, I've been reading myths and I've been reading legends my entire life and none of them read like the Gospels do. And anyone who fails to see that uh, has has clearly not learned how to read. Is, is what he says. He says, like, this is just reportage. It's just what they're trying to do. And he says, if you don't see that, you just don't know how to read. And then he says, so if you look at these, if you look at the things that Jesus says, he says he gives you uh, three options. Either he's a lunatic on, on the scale of someone who, who claims to be a poached egg, or he's the devil himself, and, and he's a complete liar, and he's evil. Or he's the Lord, and you should get on your knees and worship him. Like Jesus gives no middle ground. Again and again and again, Jesus gives no middle ground in the things he says about himself. He's either a lunatic, he's the devil, or he's the Lord. There, there's no other option to do with, with him. So that's to say that he's, like, there's no way he could have been an influential guy that everyone wanted to listen to because, like, the stuff he was saying was so off, off yeah, record. I mean, He'd call himself God. Like that, that's part of the reason he got killed. Yeah. Yeah. And if you even, I mean, at first you, one might be tempted to say, well, how is that any different from Muhammad? You know, Muhammad doesn't give much wiggle room either, but Muhammad never claimed to be God. Nope. Only a prophet of God. You know what I mean? And so I think that, that when you, especially when you look at the gospel texts, like Jesus is accused of blasphemy. More yep. than miracle working, more than being an influencer, more than rabbling, you know, being a rabble rouser and inciting crowds to riot or anything like that. He is accused most often of blasphemy because he claims to be God. And yet there are people were seeing him as a man. So then what, what's the turn? What's the turn here? What's the turning point? Because so far you've convinced me that he's a blaspheming lunatic. Okay. Then, so to me, the turn then is this one, the resurrection, if that actually happened, that validates all his claims. Uh, if you want to just, for whatever reason, be the biggest skeptic in the world and just be like, it didn't happen despite a bunch of historical evidence saying otherwise. Um, fine. What that means then is a third of the planet right now are following a lunatic or the devil himself. And we're all just way dumber than you are. So, I, I mean, I <laughs> like, well, that's been the interesting thing to me is, you know, kind of going back to that beginning argument of trying to strip everything away until we get to just fact. And once we get there, there will be no room for religion and things like that. When we have 7 billion people on the planet and what, 
6.9 of them believe in some sort of God, whether it's whether it's the Hindu faith, the Muslim faith, Christian faith, the Jewish faith, whatever. Yeah. Almost everybody, almost everybody has some kind of faith thing. And we're still there, even though we want to believe ourselves to be some incredibly heightened, evolved version. Yep. It's still 99% of people do, do believe in something. And that that comes from that very rich background to what you were talking about, Josh, is that this rich background and base knowledge that that has been built up years years over years over years yeah and and not only that but to tie into what gabe was saying is in terms of either you know nihilism or hope is we are all as humans going to face crises of some kind in our lives whether that is a traumatic event um or a crisis of conscience or something like that and there are very 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 few people less than 1%, if I had to guess, of the world's population who are willing and or able to be resolute in the fact that when they have a crisis, they turn to nothing other than themselves. Yep. You know what I mean? That, that there is, there is literally nothing that undergirds any sense of hope, any sense of confidence, any sense of, um, you know, cries for help, anything like that other than themselves. Which is why most atheists aren't even atheists. Most people who would say that they, they're agnostic or don't believe in God like aren't actually that way because there is something to bring this full circle. There is something that is formative. There is something that they would say the buck stops here on. Yeah. And I think I think that's I think you know we've we've been talking about this for quite a while. So I think that's a place where we can stop right now. Um uh, we didn't get to, we got through a third of the questions that I have right now. And so, you know, we've talked about differences between faith and religion and kind of the arguments for and against faith and religion, I guess. Um, We've gotten into this person of Jesus Christ and some of the the historical evidence and, and, and things like that. Uh, I think next time we're, we're going to continue on this. And so I would encourage everybody to, do you smell that? Do you smell that? I don't know. I smell a sequel and maybe a trilogy coming. Yes. Yes. But hopefully, hopefully in all trilogies, since the second movie always sucks that we, uh, that we, we do better. So we'll we'll bring it home in the third one. At least let's not, let's not let Gabe jinx us again. Yeah. Right. Um, what? In the mean, in the meantime, though, before I mean, you know, on the Jesus did descend into hell on the second day. He died on the first, descended on the second. So we'll pray for resurrection on the third. Yeah, we'll there talk we about go. that descension later. But in the meantime, if you have oh, a question, what? No, I mean I believe in it, but I don't think it means what oftentimes people think it means. But go okay, on, Tom. let's talk about that. Ooh, great teaser for our next episode. Uh, if you have questions in the meantime that we can add to this bank of questions that we're going through, uh. 612-208-6258. 612-208-6258. Text us your questions. Uh, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, uh, we got one more uh, one more piece that we want to talk about here before we go. And then we'll then we'll be then we'll be out. We're talking about this. Right now. Welcome back. Uh, we are about ready to wrap up here. We want to tell you a little bit about what our next episode is going to be about because this is going to be a series. It's going to be a trilogy at least. Uh, we might go James Bond on this and end up getting to 22, 23 episodes just on these questions. But oh uh, I know, right? Or, or, or not. Next, or next not. week. Next week, we will be uh, talking a little bit more about the afterlife. We got to where Jesus is. We be- uh, For the three of us here, we believe in Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection. And what that means for us as Christians is this hope for the afterlife, the, the hope that we will be in heaven uh, with Christ. And when I say hope, I mean the for sure thing. 
Ooh, interesting. What do you mean by heaven? This is getting weird. <sighs> huh. All right. We're going to get into it next episode. Uh, in the meantime, though, last call. Last call. Hey, yo, hey, yo, hey, yo. Thanks for listening and joining us. We want to do a few shout outs to our friends. First of all, to our girl, Janet. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, wait, which one? Don't wait, wait. Jan, Jan, Jan Tom's wife or Janet O'Neill, mom, affectionately known as mom. Janet, mom, to Jeanette, wife. Uh. <laughs> to Yen. To Yen. You realize that Jen is going to hit you so hard in the arms. I know. I'm ready. I'm ready. You know this, right? And uh, we, of course, do want you to reach out to us on all the social media outlets, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And please shoot us a text. We would love to talk with you. 612-208-6258. We should write a jingle. We really should write a jingle. Absolutely. maybe, Maybe next time. Yep. All right. All right. See you guys on the flip side. The afterlife. Be well. Life after death.